Isaiah 43.19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You can be seated. I think, uh, I think we would all agree that life isn't as it should be. Um, you know, just from a macro perspective, I was thinking about this this morning as I was just thinking about gathering and, and, and all the ways life isn't as it should be. And uh, just from a global perspective, a macro perspective, just if we were at 30,000 foot looking down at the earth and all that's taking place in the world, we know that there's, been a, a, there's always been trouble, but there's been something different over the last three, four, five years, something unique in our generation and our season that's shifted. We've gone through amazingly difficult global calamity in lots of different ways. It's impacted some people more than others, but we see uh, this side of the pandemic, and we see the, the, the war in Ukraine, and we see just economic up, upheaval, even in a place where we serve as a church in Lebanon. It's the third worst economy in the world. It is, it is a horrible place to live right now. Very difficult. And so just the, just the upheaval in the world, it's just like life is not as it should be. You can see that outside looking in. But probably each one of us have something in our lives, either past, present, or future, that would illustrate the point, you know what, life just isn't always as it should be. Sometimes it's downright difficult. In fact, sometimes it's impossible. You get to that place where you feel like we're, we're not, not going to make it uh, through. And all of that kind of manifests itself in things like mental health and, and things like the intersect of mental health and physical health and spiritual health. I mean, it it just, uh, it just wreaks havoc in some ways. And we see right now, uh, as we look at statistics and data and all those kinds of things, we can see in our culture, just the, the Western Hemisphere, particularly in the United States, we, we see an increased rise in, uh, dr- drastically in- increased rise in depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, uh, we see people uh, all the time. It's different. Just at church, it's different than it was three years ago with the amount of difficulty we see people going through and what we're helping people navigate. Now, life just isn't as it should be. I think we could all agree that that's the case. But the question is, and, and what I want to raise, uh, the question I want to raise and answer today is why is it that way? Why do we go through hard things? And let me just make maybe three points and then give you some hope. So the first reason we go through suffering and calamity and difficulty, sometimes that feels impossible, is that we are living and raising our families in a treacherous environment. That's the single most important awareness point you could come to today. Sometimes we don't think we are. Sometimes we think we're, you know, we're different because uh, we, we, we have stuff. We have master planned communities and we have all these things. But we're not any different than anybody in the world. Everybody 
is living and raising their families in a treacherous environment. Now, this is a biblically insane uh, worldview. I say insane for a reason, because if you're the world and you cannot see what the scripture says, you think everything that I'm getting ready to say is insanity, but it's not. It's a biblical worldview. It's the lens which God gave us to, to look at things. And so here's what the scripture teaches us, is that we are living life in this moment, in 2023, in, in, in this part of the world, we are living life between two very real gardens, okay? The first garden we see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the first garden, kind of if we're thinking about bookends, the first garden is the Garden of Eden. Eden means paradise. It was perfect. There was no relational shame between Adam and Eve, man and woman. There was no relational shame between God and Adam and Eve in the beginning of this. And there were two trees highlighted there, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's another sermon. Maybe you can add it to your QR code questions. Why did you even have to put that tree there? Right? But it's there nonetheless. They eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and everything changes in that moment because they have done what God said not to do. And they've been deceived by a serpent who brought half-truths. This serpent is Satan, according to the scripture, brought half-truths. Did God really say, don't eat from that tree? Did he really say you wouldn't die, or you would die? Uh, you, you won't die. In fact, God's kind of threatened by you. If you eat from that tree, you'll be like God. You'll be able to understand things like God understands things. And, and, he, and he, he fed them that line, and they believed it, and, and they ate because it looked good to their eyes. And when they ate, uh, instantly they had shame between each other, and instantly they had shame between their, their relationship with God. This is like the, the, the very first consequence of sin is shame guilt. And, uh, and there's consequences to be had. So what, what happens is the Lord uh, kills an animal and covers them. That's his, his fatherhood. But then he sends them outside the Garden of Eden. And when they go outside the Garden of Eden, if you look at the geography of Eden and where it is, they go outside the Garden of Eden, they go right into the wilderness. They go right into the desert, um, deep desert. And there's consequences right? Why, why do they need to be cast outside the garden? Well, they're in sin, and there's another tree there called the tree of life. If they eat of the tree of life, while they're in their sin, they'll live forever in sin, and that's hell. And so it's actually a grace for God to put them outside the garden. It's actually grace that they will die and have the opportunity for faith, right? It sounds insane. That's garden number one. Garden number two, we get in Revelation chapter 22, 1 to 5. That's the end of the scripture. That's where John, the writer, has a vision, and he begins to explain the uh, words of Jesus to the churches, and then all that will take place at the end and how things will be uh, 
for followers of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 22, 1 to 5, it says, Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and, and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. There's that tree again. With its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, the people groups. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship them. They will see his face, and his name will be upon their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will, be, there will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So there is a second garden. And the second garden comes in Revelation when we have the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. When the final work of restoring all things is complete, all sin is pushed outside of the camp. There is judgment. There is hell. All sin will be judged. But those in Christ who have received, received him in faith will be gathered and they will rule and reign with Christ in a city that apparently doesn't have just one tree of life, like the Garden of Eden, but is lined with trees of life, bearing fruit in, in season. And that tells us that this is a place of eternal life. Eat of that tree of life all you want. Right? So two gardens, Garden of Eden, it was paradise, but sin enters the picture, breaks everything. They go into the wilderness. The second garden, Revelation 22, everything is restored. But in the Bible, everything between those two gardens is a metaphor, and it's a, the metaphor for life is wilderness. It is desert. And I use, the, the biblical world word is wilderness, but I use desert because wilderness, when we think about wilderness from our perspective, we think about, you know, great giant pine forests and, you know, it's not that. It's desert. It's rocky. It's craggy. It's scourged. It's, it's not the kind of wilderness that you think of. But in the Bible, the metaphor for life is wilderness. You just think about this for just a minute. The book of Numbers. Uh, the book of Numbers, we changed it in English to say numbers because we like that there's a lot of numbers in there. In Hebrew, the, the title for that is Bach Midbar, into the wilderness, right? It is uh, all the book of Numbers is about into the wilderness. The Exodus, they go out of Pharaoh's court, out of Goshen, the land of, of plenty, and they go right out of Goshen into the wilderness where they wander for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is crucified in the Judean wilderness right outside of uh, Jerusalem. He's tempted in the wilderness, it says. Uh, we are living life, in fact, in the wilderness. This is the, the metaphor for life. And there are three kinds of wilderness. I want to share those with you. Uh, three words. There are more than three words, but three main words in Hebrew that, uh, that are used uh, for the word wilderness. The first one is the word midbar. I already mentioned it for the book of Numbers, ba midbar, into the wilderness. I want to show you some photos so you kind of get an idea of what each one of these look like. Midbar. Looks like this. The thing that makes Midbar different is trees. What do you have if you have a tree in the, in the wilderness? You have shade. You have water there. There's water somewhere around there. You could find it if you know what you're doing. Midbar is desert you can survive in if you know what you're doing. Okay? 
Isaiah 43, 19, the scripture that we read to begin with. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the midbar, in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Midbar is desert you can survive in. This is the, the in the metaphor, this is the normal times of life. Um, we're constantly in midbar. We might not even recognize we're in the wilderness when we're in midbar because we don't know what it's like to live life unimpacted by sin and the sins of other people. But when we're in midbar, that's when we're saying, like, somebody asks you at church, how you doing? And you're saying, like, everything's good right now. You're in midbar, right? It's, just, it's, like it's going pretty good. It's normal. It's not perfect, but it's, it's going pretty good. There's a second kind of wilderness described in the scripture it is called Tzia. It sounds funny. It's, it's like a T and then an S-I-Y-A-H. Tzia. And this is desert you can survive in if you have help. So it's different than Midbar. This one you're not going to survive unless you, unless you have help from other people. Uh, I'll show you a picture of Tzia. Do you find any trees? So Tzia is a little bit different because it's harder to find water. If you look way... In the background, you can see part of the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. Do you see it way back there? Then across the Salt Sea is Jordan. You can't even drink that water. So if you're up there, you're like, oh, we can get down and get water. You die when you drink that water. It's a brutal place. Siaz Desert, you can survive. And look, we're not alone in that wilderness. We're going it with, with other people. You cannot survive on your own in Sia. It's, it's more scourged. It's hotter. There's no shade. It's very, very difficult to find water. Isaiah 35, 1, he uses this word. He says the wilderness, it, which is the word midbar, the wilderness and the dry ground, Sia, shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Do you notice, by the way, how God's like always bringing water to the wilderness. He's making dry land like blossom and bloom. Same thing here. But Sia is desert. You cannot survive in unless you have help. Have anybody ever been in a place in your life where you would look back and you would say, I would not have survived that if it weren't for these people? Well, whoever they were, your family, your small group, your neighbors, your, your closest people. Um, this is Sia. When you look back at those parts of your life or you're in it and you're like, I can't survive if I don't have a few people who know what they're doing to help me out here, this is Sia. Sia is desert. You can survive if you have help, but you won't, you won't survive it on your own. A third kind of desert, an even deeper uh, wilderness, is, is called Yashimon. Yashimon. And Psalm 78, verse 40, it says, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness, again, that's Midbar, and grieved him in the desert. That is the word Yashimon. So let me show you this picture. This is Yashimon. So it's, it doesn't even just look hot. Like the, the hot, hazy, dusty-looking you know, stuff hanging over it. There is, there is nothing out there. I mean, this is a hike. Literally, I know leading this hike uh, through this part of Yashimon, I have four hours. We have water, we have everything we need, but I have four. I need to get out of there in like 3.40. Because at four, mark my word, somebody's going to dehydrate. And then I'm carrying people, and I don't like that. So Yashimon is so deep 
in the wilderness, in the metaphor of life, these are the times of life that you cannot survive. You cannot survive. The ironic thing is, in the scripture, when we look at this metaphor and we kind of follow how God's working in the pictures, when the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, about 60% of their wandering is in Yashimon. Yashimon. So you get greater miracles in the Old Testament narrative, greater miracles in Yashimon than you do in Midbar. So they got water from a rock. They got manna from heaven. Their shoes didn't wear out. We have $200 pair of hiking boots, and people are like, it's burning through my soul. They, their shoes didn't wear out. It's the text says their clothes didn't wear, wear out. I mean, they get greater miracles in those deep places. And honestly, when we go through Yashimon in life, um, we're not going to survive it apart from the, the move of God, uh, the miracle of God, the work of God in our lives. And we're utterly dependent on God here because even if you have other people out there, you're not going to survive. You need God. That's the wilderness, and that's the metaphor for life. And this is where we are living and raising our families. It is a, it is a treacherous, treacherous environment. I don't say that to breed fear. I just say that to open your eyes. I'm not scared. I'm not fearful. But I just say that to open your eyes to the reality that we live in. Because sometimes with our sprinkler systems and our ability to do anything, get food to come to our house with one click on a phone... We forget that we walk through Midbar, Sia, and Yashimon, and that we're leading and discipling our children to walk in Midbar, Sia, Yashimon. We forget. We forget God, because in Midbar, we don't need him. In Sia, we think we can, if I have a few people, I can do without him. Until we get to Yashimon, we realize, like, oh my God, I need Sometimes we forget we live in a treacherous environment. We're raising our families in a treacherous environment. The second thing, the observation that I would make from the scriptures is that we live among a broken people. We live among a broken people. The most broken person you know is you. I mean, this is why Jesus was saying things like, you know, before you uh, point out the speck in that guy's eye, Let's talk about the plank in yours. And I, I'm included. The most broken person you know is you. Um, the ESV takes the Hebrew word and the, the Greek word for sin and translates it into the English sin 440 times in the scripture. Let me just say, of all the words repeated in scripture, that is an oft-repeated word. Sin. Um, I'll read you one scripture, 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So <clears throat> sometimes you, you think to yourself, like I'm in Sia or I'm Yashimon, like life isn't as it should be. Oh God, help me, send the Blackhawks, you know, rescue me, get me out of this desert. Where's the satellite phone, you know, all that stuff. But we have to realize personal sin is seriously wounding to ourselves and to others, and 
it often puts us in the wilderness, our personal sin. And we have to start there. I mean, the, the scripture is clear, for the wages of sin is death. It's yashimon, you know. Um, it's, a, it's so wounding to us and to other people, and it's a, a prison that requires a rescuer. Like, you're not going to shake the sin problem apart from Jesus. It requires a rescuer. First um, John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My little children, this is Jesus, uh, John, writing. My little ch- children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So we have a sin problem and we need a savior. And we're, we live in, amongst the broken people and we should just consider ourselves the most broken, most in need. But not only that, uh, we deal with the sins of other people. And there's nothing that we can do to avoid the sins of other people in the world. You can, you can isolate as much as you want, build high walls, and make it as secure as you possibly can, but the reality is the sins of other people are going to impact you. It's real. Just Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, right after they've been tossed out of the garden, the, kind of the very next thing that we get is Cain kills his brother Abel. I mean, like, the kids of the sinners. Cain murders Abel. Think about that impact. It impacted Abel, death. Impacted Adam and Eve, the parents. What kind of grief did they have that one brother murdered another? Cain, what kind of shame, what kind of guilt did he have? And how has he been uh, thought about through the decades, the centuries, the millennia? Right? It's impactful, the sins of other people. Our, Our story is no different than maybe many of, of your stories in that case, our family has been drastically impacted by the sins of other, other people. Uh, our sins too, but drastically impacted by the sins of other people. <clears throat> it's a hard story for me to tell. I'm gonna try to give you the three-minute version. It's not gonna answer all your questions about uh, our situation. But I want you to know that nobody's exempt from Yashimon. Nobody gets a pass. Everybody walks through. When our oldest daughter was a teenager, all of you, if you knew her at that time, all of you would have thought, this is a great kid, and uh, she's an awesome athlete, and she's an awesome academic student, and she comes to church, and she's involved in doing ministry and missions and all that, and she was, and she is awesome, Um, but at home, it was very difficult not because she was acting out in some of the, these egregious like ways that sometimes we, we categorize things like drugs or alcohol or, or stuff like that, but she was angry. She was really angry. She was full of anxiety, and she was uber depressed. And we had no idea why. There was nothing that in the trajectory of her life that would say she should be depressed. She should be anxious. She should be this angry. We had no idea why. And it was very difficult. It was cataclysmic for our family behind closed doors. Uh, She went to college, and we breathed a sigh of relief. 
not lying. You, you know that senior summit everybody goes to? Ours was ridiculously hard. It was awful that night. So <clears throat> she goes to school, and we're t- sitting on the couch one night, and I can't honestly remember if, sh- if we called her or she called But whatever the case was, she was sitting in her truck in a park, kind of out of campus, and it was late. And she's just wailing, just blubbering, like can't get her breath crying. And she says, I I can't take it anymore. And she's like, now Pastor Brian goes into mode, like forget Dad Brian. I'm like, okay, well, calling the cops. You're going to go to the ER. They're going to make sure you're safe. That, that kind of thing, that scared her enough that she was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. We got her to a counselor very quickly. That counselor called me because I knew the counselor really well, and the counselor said, has she ever been sexually assaulted? I said, no, man, no, no way, unless it's happened in like the last six weeks. I mean, we're that family that we're in church ministry, and we've seen a lot, a lot of stuff. Pastors and police officers, man, they see a lot. And so we didn't let them, we didn't even let our kids spend the night at places, even with our best friends, because we, we've seen so much. We, we just were that family. And she goes, man, it's textbook. And I was like, you're, you're right, it is. And I'm looking back, I'm thinking, it is textbook. I can't think of anything. Goes to a couple more sessions. They pull a specific time, a specific place, a specific person. I can put that person in my house in that time frame. This person is close. I became murderous. You had a pastor who stood here on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon, <laughs> I'm thinking, how do, how do I get this guy? I know people, too. I know bad people. <laughs> I was like, it's a phone call. I think they do it for free. That's where I was. And the journey began for us. I mean, it had already begun. We had already been through the bad place. But now we knew why. We didn't know why before. Now we knew why, and we began this journey three years or so of, of just intense, intense counseling, intensity with, you can imagine, legal, you can imagine uh, this confrontation that I did have with the, the individual, you can imagine um, the impact on every kid in our family, on our marriage. It was like Satan was trying to blow us up. And we were bleeding out. And not everybody knew that. A few people did. A few people knew everything. Because we knew we would, I, I, we would die. <laughs> and so, Angela had a stroke during that time. Uh, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress after the confrontation. We had already been through Hurricane Harvey I was involved with the Santa Fe shooting, the, a lot of the aftermath of uh, that, and then this. Um, 
<laughs> she was in the hospital, and I went, because my doctor was close to the med center, I went to the doctor for a physical. Like, I think I'm crazy, dying, something, I don't know. So she's laying in the hospital bed, and I'm like, he's like, dude, you've been through a war. It was just awful. It was just awful. But here's what I found out in the midst of that. <clears throat> people are helpful, and there's a lot of people that have a certain set of skills that can really help you. Community is important. Um, but what I found out is that when I, when I lay in my driveway in the middle of the night, and yell at God, he sits with me in it. He does not abandon me. He doesn't. He never left us alone. We have scars. Real scars. I'm still working through forgiveness. I can't speak for everybody else, uh, but I am still working through it. Um, nobody's exempt and the sins of others are impactful and real here's the third thing we have a real enemy we have a real enemy in the wilderness 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 be sober minded, be watchful your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The enemy is wreaking havoc. He's doing it on purpose. He has a plan, a mission. His mission, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what we experience. Although Jesus said, I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that's what we experience, <laughs> both. You know, we never got like a Black Hawk rescue. I was always like, you know, now's the, the time, you know, to send the angels, make it stop, do whatever. We ne never got that. We always got, uh, uh, I, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Jesus said of the, the, the devil, John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, speaking of these, these Jewish guys that were coming against Jesus, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. And we found that to be true. He tells lies about God. He tells lies about self, he tells lies about other people, and he does it so effectively that he, want, he wants to do it to rip you apart as a family unit and as a person. So, we live in a treacherous land. Sin is a real deal. Sin, my sin and the sins of other people, and there's a real enemy. This is why we go through hard things. That is the biblical perspective. This is why we live in a desert. We're broken and other people are broken and the enemy is waging a spiritual warfare. 
So we started with hope, and I'm going to end with hope <clears throat> by just saying that there is real help and real hope. I love this passage of scripture, <clears throat> and I just want to remind you of some things. Jesus went to Sukkot, uh, the festival of the tabernacles, toward the end of his ministry. Um, the people were the gathered there because of the law tells them to, and they were there to commemorate, to remember um, God's provision for them in the wilderness when he gave manna from heaven, uh, water from a rock. And they're there praying for rain because if they don't get rain, water that comes from God, they're, they're going to not have economy. Not only will they not have food, but they, they're in an agrarian economy, so they will not have economy. So they're begging God for living water. Give us living water. There's two kinds of water in the scripture. Cistern water, that's the kind you hewn with your own hands. You, you dig a hole in the earth and you catch it, and it sits there and it becomes toxic over time. And then there's living water that comes from God. It's rain and it's water, spring water bubbling up from the ground. It just comes from God. Jesus went to the festival of Sukkot, <clears throat> I think with this particular idea in mind, because he knew the high priest, the chief priest at that time would gather his golden pitcher and go down to the spring of Gion, which is, is really the easiest entry point is the pool of Siloam, and he would gather living water, water that's bubbling from the ground. That's the only spring that feeds all of Jerusalem. And so he goes from the Temple Mount, from the altar, all the way down to uh, the, the pool of Siloam, down the stairs with people lined up, and they're chanting, they're screaming, living water, give us living water. He draws living water from that pool of Siloam. He comes back up to the altar, and he's going to offer a, a drink offering. We know this is happening at that time because it says in John chapter 7 uh, that this was on the last day of the feast, the great day. The reason John tells us that is because that's when this big water libation ceremony is going on. I imagine that as the chief priest makes his way back up to the altar to pour out the drink offering and all the people that are gathered there are sh chanting living water, give us living water. From, there's a verse out of Isaiah from the, or Jeremiah from the well, draw water from the wells of salvation. It's this idea of maim chayim, living water. They're all begging for it. And it says in John chapter 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Why did he have to stand up and cry out? Because everybody was loud. They were chanting for living water. He got up on a pedestal, a rock, something. He got up higher than everybody, and he yelled. You're, and the point is this, you're all looking for living water. I'm right here. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What do you need in the wilderness more than anything else to survive? Water. Water. I don't know if you've noticed, maybe you've picked up on it. Every Sunday when you walk in here, there's a focal wall, and the back of the focal wall is this verse. You see it. You've some of you have taken pictures by it. I've often wondered, do they know why it's there? It's there because I imagine you're walking in from a wilderness. That you've definitely been in Midbar, and you've likely been in Siah, and some of you are in Yashimon right now. And you just need a drink. And so we're saying, 
hey, come drink. Come drink when we gather here. Come drink. Listen to the words of Jesus because they are life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The problem is we're in a desert and we don't know where to find water. You think you're okay until you're not okay. And then when you're not okay, you don't know where to find water. So where do you find it? I'm going to read Isaiah 43, 19, and 20, and 21 now so you know. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. For people who I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. Do you know where to find water when you're in the desert of life? Christ. You run to Jesus. We read the Psalms, Angela and I, every day forever. Together, apart. She's still texting me a psalm every day of my life. I read Psalm 23 this morning because it's April 23rd. Sorry. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. How bad do you need a shepherd to lead you through the wilderness? That's a desert psalm. David's a desert dude. I don't know if you knew that. You find water in Christ. You find water in community of faith. Like you can't do Siah by yourself. You need other people. You can't go it alone. When I see people bleeding out, and we're talking about counseling, a lot of times, especially guys, like for whatever reason, I'll say, who is his best friend so I can get that person and go like, Let's talk to them. They're like, often, like, he doesn't have a friend. <laughs> no friends. You find water in community. There's so many people. You're going through some part of Yashimon. You just heard my story. If you're going through that, I know where to find water in that now. I didn't. But I do now. I can help you through that. You need people. You find it in Christ, you find it in community. And I'll say this, you find it in counsel. Do you think it's ironic that we have a biblical counseling ministry called Living Water? It's not. It's purposeful, it's intentional. It's the place you go to drink when you're bleeding out in the wilderness. If you need counsel today, go on our website, bayarea.church slash livingwater. Fill out a form and be man or woman enough to say, I need some help. I'm lost in the wilderness, and I'm thirsty. Do you think it's uh, ironic that we have a counseling center named Life Tree? (laughs) This is the place you go when you can't figure out what to do. Do you have mental health issues? That's what they are. Let's not beat around the bush. If you're depressed, full of anxiety, all those things, We want to help you. Go there, you know.
probably the best thing you could do is just tell your, your friend, like, I'm in the deep desert right now. I'm in the deep desert, and I need help. Where do you go to find water? You go to Christ, his community, and you find counseling, discipleship from his people. This is why. This is why. I haven't answered who God is. I haven't talked to you yet about what spiritual warfare is and how it's happening. And I haven't talked to you yet about how to fight. I've just said, this is why. This is why. We're going to close our time today with a time of prayer. This book is, someone said, hey, congratulations on writing your book. I was like, that's not the right word. Because I didn't want to learn anything in here. Sorry. I didn't. But at the end of each chapter, there's a prayer specifically for people and families that are going through really difficult times. And uh, I want to end in a time of prayer today. But differently, uh, I'm not going to ask you to talk to anyone or tell anybody what you're going through unless you just want to. But if you would say, hey, I am in the wilderness and I need relief. My family, we're in the wilderness and we need relief. I just want you to come up to this altar. You can sit on the front row if you can't kneel. There's pads here on the front if you want to kneel. I just want to pray over you in mass. We're going to sing this song, this acoustic song. If you need prayer during that time, you just come. And at the end of the song, I'm going to pray over you. There's power in prayer. I'm telling you. My daughter that once hated God, because where was he when that happened? Daddy, where was he? I imagine in the next month she'll start a new job as a girls minister in a student ministry. And then she just wants to show people where to find water. And the end of the story or maybe the beginning of the story for us is actually really refreshing. But we found, she asked us this weekend, would you have ever guessed that I would be doing this? <laughs> I was like, no. Not at all. But we prayed so hard. And so many people prayed for us, and there's power in it. There was no extraction, but there is fruit, and there is freedom to the glory of God and for the good of people. That's how he works. So would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song, and you just come, and if you need prayer, just kneel here or sit here or stand here, whatever, and at the end of this, this song, I'm gonna, I want to pray over us. You come, though.
come all the way up and make room for uh, everybody that will will come. You are a deep, deep well. You satisfy me. You satisfy me. I am a barren land, tired and empty, tired and empty. Oh, I need you. Ooh, yes, I need you. Church, if you are uh, standing there and just worshiping, would you just pray over these people with me? Father God in heaven, we come before you today as a people in desperate need of you. There are places that we walk in life that cause us extreme pain where we find ourselves at the end of ourselves and we don't even know what to do. We don't even know what to say. We don't know how to be. We don't know how to feel. And God, that manifests itself in a lot of different ways in our own just running to sin or anxiety or depression or our own grief. God, it just comes out in lots of different ways. Father, I pray for these that have come forward today who said, I'm just, I'm just thirsty. Holy Spirit, would you wash over them right now? In the name of Jesus, would you let them know in a very clear and real way, would you let them know that they can come to you and they can trust you even when everything is chaotic, when calamity is real, when the enemy is lying and and, and at war with us. And when the world is pressing, 
against us, God. You are doing a thing in the midst of that wilderness place that is, that is, is, is water in the wilderness, that is, is the blossoming of the crocus in the desert place, that is providing shade in the midst and refuge, that you're, you are the way through the wilderness. And so, God, draw them to your word. Speak to them by your spirit. Put people around them that can help them. And God, uh, take away fear. Fear is, is not from you. And replace it with faith and give them what they need just one day at a time, every day. God, we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray for hope. We pray for the next generation that is represented by the people that are here praying and hurting over them. God, we pray that they would fix their eyes on you, that their identity would be in you, that their sexuality would be in you, God, that they would see your design is best. Father, I pray for marriages that are hurting and broken and bleeding out. God, would you bring healing as each person in that marriage begins to trust you more? Father, do a work of restoration that, I, like you did in our lives, I could never have imagined. Oh, God, would you do it again and again and again? You are so faithful. And when we go through and we're begging you for that extraction and you don't give it, but instead say, I'll be with you, would you help us to see how, how great that is? how that's enough, help us to cling to you, to stay in your dust, to fix our eyes on you, to find help and hope and rest and relief in you. And I pray it in the name of Jesus, the one who knows the way through the valley of the shadow of death and came out the other side risen and victorious. He is our good shepherd. We pray in his strong name. Amen.